I'm Kurt LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief of Business in Vancouver. Today's podcast is part two in a series of four examining the intricacies and challenges of buying and selling a business. Today's is part two about buying a business. It's part of our Business Excellence series, and it's sponsored by the law firm of Richards Will Sutton and the financial services firm Roynet Capital. My guests are experienced and expert in the complex terrain of acquiring a business, and I think the next 20 minutes or so is going to be a valuable education for you. I'm going to stay with you on this one, Jason, to start. Uh, so many buyers have such a passion for what it is that they're trying to acquire. Their hearts are totally into it, and they might get very far down the road and not be the ones to right away understand that perhaps this isn't the right deal. How, how do you counsel people on how to know when to walk away? Ooh, that's a, because <laughs> I kind of try not to counsel people to walk I away. I know you do, but there must be times where you don't want to walk somebody off the side of a cliff <laughs> yeah. either. At the end of the day, it has to be a good fit. I think uh, Arturo would be the same. Any good broker, any broker with, uh, with, experience is only going to succeed if we're trying to marry the right fit. If it's a good fit, if the buyer and seller, it's a good fit, we're going to go down that road. The last thing I really want to do, I mean, I just, I joked at the beginning there, but the last thing I want to do is sell a business to someone that's, that it's not a good fit. Um, I think that there's a, there's a point because you, it's, it's never a straight line. You're gonna have lots of obstacles. Like you're gonna, if you're buying a business, you're gonna, the bank's going to turn you down. Then you add some other financing and then the, there's some legal problems. And then there's a buyer and seller fighting. I mean, it's, it's never going to be a straight line. So you have to just kind of be keep banging down walls. Um, but I think there becomes a point uh, when, you know, you just kind of buyer has to just kind of trust their gut. When, when you know it's going south, get out of Dodge. And you'll find that generally speaking, the professionals in this industry will, will help you out the door when it, when it's time to pack it in. Yeah. Arturo. Yeah, and there are certainly some red flags in the way, right? I mean, if your buyer sees that I mean, the financials look sketchy or, or something like that, or, or, or things just don't add up, I mean, the buyer or, or, I mean, should not become emotional or, or, or I need to do this, okay, and, and, and be rational and step away, right? I mean, sometimes things don't work for for a reason, right? So, yeah, David. Though people are are going to get emotional about all this, this is this is where their heart is trying to lead them. Um, how do you make sure that you know the head stops them here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Especially once you know the lawyers and the uh, advisors get involved, they're starting to spend money on on people. People get invested in the transaction. It's hard to take that objective look and and step away from it. Um, but it is something that's it's crucial for a buyer to constantly be reassessing the, the transaction as they're proceeding, because they're gonna be getting more and more information as the transaction goes along. Um, and sometimes you do need to, yeah, put a pause on it, take a step back, think about it. Uh, sometimes I, I tell my clients, you know, let's not respond right away. Let's take some time, like mull it over the weekend or, or take a mm -hmm. few days uh, to reflect, to make sure that you're ready to proceed, especially when there have been some red flags coming up, something that really gives you pause about whether to proceed with the transaction. You know, is it necessarily so that when a vendor is really pressing for a sale in a hurry, that that, that is an automatic red flag or, or can that frankly just be a reasonable, you know, a reasonable requirement? I wouldn't say that's necessarily uncommon. Um, 
you know, some of my vendor clients as well, once they decide they want to sell, their heart's not into it anymore. They want to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, but within reason, if they're, you know, sometimes that does give you the ability to negotiate things in your favor. If, if one party's desperate to proceed with a transaction, it gives you the upper hand. And so maybe you're willing to proceed, but you can get some additional protections in place um, or some more advantageous terms. Yeah. And so, Derek, when when do you often uh, get the sense that, you know what, I, I better take this person and walk them away from this deal? Yeah, I think if you're a buyer looking at a business, before you get too much involved, and you should write down like the 10 most important reasons why you're buying this business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it's price is one of them, and the price just starts moving too much, it's probably a reason to leave. I mean, I see a lot of times where people go down the, the garden path of the company and the price just keeps changing. And so, you know, you got to stick to your guns sometimes because you'll overpay for a business and uh, you'll end up uh, regretting it. I think the other thing is, you know, you need to listen to your advisors. And, I, you know, I'm always coming back to this. But, you know, as we talked about, that includes your banker, you know, and hopefully you as a purchaser, I would say, you know, it's important for you to hire an M&A advisor as well. You shouldn't just be using the M&A advisor, the seller, you know, because that person is going to come with their own level of experience and they're going to be able to provide you knowledge. And then your lawyer. And and I mean, <clears throat> if let's say your banker says, well, this is just too getting too rich for me or the lawyer starts bringing up all these concerns about, you know, the way the deal is structured or the fact they're not giving any reps and warranties or your M&A advisor says, well, you know, you're paying eight times for a business then you know, that should be transacting at four times. You know, you need to listen to those things. You need to take a step back, take a deep breath and say, there's a reason why I brought these people in and stick to your guns and walk from the deal if it's not going to work. David. Uh, so let's say the deal has is going to be done, but you know, you're not exactly sure about many things involving the business. You, you know, you're going to need some support after, after the transaction is conducted. What kind of counsel do you give clients about what post sale support is wise? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when acting for a buyer, you know, the, the more rights to have uh, post sale support, the better, uh, so if you can get the vendor to commit to, uh, you know, consultation and maybe helping with the transition, um, you may not need it afterwards, but it's good to have the option. And, uh, you know, the the amount of support that's necessary will really depend on the buyer and how how sophisticated they are, whether they're familiar with the business, the the industry or not. Um, but it is also important for buyers to get in there to take ownership of what they're acquiring to not rely on the vendor after the fact, if they can help it, it should be, you know, almost a last resort as they go forward. Um, so they should have their own systems in place, their own. Do you, do you end up uh, holding back money? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. If that's a serious concern, if it's, uh, if assistance is required, uh, we'll, you know, whether it's in the form of a holdback or, or an out or some other mechanism, uh, we, can, we can include a financial incentive for the vendors to cooperate. Mm-hmm. Derek, what kind of post-sale support do you feel is wise? Yeah, I mean, I, I would think when I look at a deal and say this is a well-structured deal, I'm looking for some form of vendor financing in a transaction so that the vendors actually take care of some of the risk going forward. I'm looking for uh, making sure that there's the purchase and sale agreement includes things like uh, non-competes. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, a, a management contract so that the owners obviously continue to provide advice and counsel to the business. Um, you know, those are two really crucial things that I'm looking for from in a deal from front funky the vendor's side to make sure that there's some continuity going forward. Yeah. Arturo, pick up on that. What kind of post-sale support do you think is necessary? I also think it depends a lot on the type of business, right? Some of them would require a much longer or more term, uh, support from the seller. Uh, I mean, probably more of a, a retail business of things would just be basic training. But of course, if, if, if the business has specific clients, I mean, contracts, or if the business depends a lot on the, is very attached to the owner, okay? I mean, if the owner is totally the face of that business, then it will require a much longer transition. Yeah, it's basically important to, to ask for, to request it. Mm -hmm. Jason? Yeah, and the buyer definitely wants to negotiate how much time the seller is gonna stick around while in negotiations. Don't wait until the deal's done to be asked the, the seller to stick around. Most deals that I do, we usually include two to three months of the seller staying around full-time after the deal. And then in some cases, like Arturo mentioned, where sometimes it's, it's very client-specific, well, we might drag out those introductions and meetings over a six-month period. And so it's part-time for six months, or other times it's full-time for two months. So it's somewhere in that zone, but if, if if a buyer starts negotiating that while negotiating price and terms, um, they'll be much better uh, served. And the, the seller will mostly be quite honest of how much they would be needed. Like a lot of times the sellers will say, listen, I need to stick around for, for four months. They'll be, they'll be toast without me uh, if I go after two months. So in, in, well, it's got to be a trust. There's got to be a high level of trust in order uh, for a deal to happen. And uh, I'll conclude with this and, and uh, want to hear from each of you about what surprises you think generally you might expect along the way here. Uh, Derek, why don't you start with this? Uh, surprises that come up during the transaction? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, well certainly uh, the emotional aspect of selling your business and the impact that has on the vendor. And the reasons for them potentially pulling out of a deal can surprise you. You know, um, you know, I'd say that's where, you know, I've seen deals fall apart more times than not because the vendor just starts to worry about what they're going to do with the rest of their life. And they decide to keep the business, you know, uh, that's, that's a big, I think, I think that's one of the reasons why I see deals fail is the vendor really wasn't ready to sell their business, and w which surprises me after somebody goes through a process for, anywhere from six months up to a year, and then they make that decision at the last moment. Yeah. David, what, what surprises do you typically stumble over? Yeah. Um, actually, one of them that, uh, that Derek touched on is vendors not being ready to sell. And sometimes that happens after they've sold, and then they realize you know, they don't want to be out of it. They want to get back in. And uh, Vendor remorse. Vendor remorse. And, and another important reason to get uh, proper you know, restricted covenants in place over the vendor so they can't come back into the industry and compete directly against against you after you've spent all this money acquiring their business. Um, other things, you know, that also relates to the employees. If they're not properly tied down, you can always worry about them uh, jumping ship after transactions completed or maybe right before once they get wind of the transaction going on. Um, as well as, you know, making sure that the business owns what it should own and that there's, you know, sometimes there'll be uh, 
you know, liens that aren't expected over certain of the assets that you're supposed to be acquiring, complications like that that can come up as a, as we go through the our due diligence. Yeah. Jason? One of the things that often blindsides a buyer is, is their spouse. Um, I, I call it the wife card. If, if you don't really early in when I'm talking to a buyer, I make sure their wife's on board. Because a lot of times a buyer can, you know, spend a good month in due diligence, the deals negotiated, they're happening. And then their wife tells them they don't want to risk their entire net worth and they don't want their husband gone seven days a week, 12 hours a day, which is what will happen in the first year of any business. So let's be clear too, that this could your be home team. you have to consult and the wife might be the buyer. Um, okay. So yeah, that's, that's pretty important to mention. Uh, Arturo. Well, uh, there are always surprises, but uh, besides the appearance of a pandemic, okay, like this was a big surprise, okay, um, I mean, all the, the emotional aspects, right? I mean, that the very end, change, change your mind, or things that probably the buyer thought that were included on the sale, and then the seller comes, oh, this, by the way, this is not included in the sale. So, uh, and therefore the price or the terms changes, right? So that's why always a recommendation is to, to as soon as possible, even at the LOI stage, to put the most detail that, that, that you can, I mean, from the buyer side of what you want and what to expect. So, so there are no more negotiations further down the road, or at, at, at the less possible negotiations. Good. Well, listen, we'll, we're going to cut our conversation off to our podcast, but I want to thank the four of you uh, to discuss the, uh, the idea of buying uh, a business, David Harvey with uh, Richard Boyle Sutton, Derek uh, Strong with Roynat Capital, Jason Bryce, JasonBryce.com online, and Arturo Kalb with Murphy Business Broker. Thanks very much, gentlemen, for your time. Thank you. Join us for part three of our conversation tomorrow. All of the series can be found later this week at BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor in chief of Business and Banking. Thanks for joining us. 